Welcome to Industry Roundtable with Roger Reiswig. I'm Roger Reiswig, Fellow and Vice President of Industry Relations at Johnson Controls. In this series, I will host leaders in the industry to explore fire and life safety issues that matter to you. Hello and welcome to Industry Roundtable. For today's topic for Industry Roundtable, we will discuss carbon monoxide or CO and NFPA 720, the standard for the installation of carbon monoxide detection and warning equipment. My guest today is Art Black. Mr. Black is a fire chief with Carmel Fire Protection. Welcome to Industry Roundtable, Chief Black, and thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks, Roger. Appreciate the invitation. And glad you were here. Art, could you provide our listeners with some background of what Carmel Fire Protection does and your position there? Okay, uh, Carmel Fire Protection is a consulting company. Uh, we were founded in 1993. Uh, we are located on the central coast of California and basically provide uh, contract fire marshal services to municipalities and fire departments uh, throughout the central coast of California. Um, we currently have uh, eight jurisdictions under contract, so uh, we like I say, we provide fire marshal services, plan review, uh, inspection services, and uh, the always popular other duties is assigned. Uh, fantastic. That, uh, that other duties assigned uh, always is, uh, is, uh, is interesting. And one of those is your background with carbon monoxide and the NFPA 720 document, and uh, which makes you a great um, guest for me today. And the topic of this podcast, carbon monoxide, you know, let's start off just by maybe taking a step backwards and why it poses such a risk. How is CO generated? Where does it come from? Well, carbon monoxide is a product of incomplete combustion. So if you have a fuel burning appliance, uh, you very well may be generating carbon monoxide. Uh, it is uh, colorless, odorless, tasteless. You really don't know whether you have carbon monoxide in the atmosphere or not. Uh, it is dangerous to health because it has an affinity for the cells in your lungs uh, and blood that would normally be carrying oxygen. Uh, so the uh, carbon monoxide standard was developed to put into place some regulations about detecting uh, carbon monoxide in the atmosphere. All right, so you talked a little bit about um, how our human body interacts with carbon monoxide. What effects does it have on the body? Well, it depends on how much carbon monoxide you get and over what period of time. Carbon monoxide is a little bit uh, different than most toxic gases in that it, it has the same effect whether you get a little bit over a long period of time or a lot over a short period of time. Depending on the amount of carbon monoxide in the body, symptoms could include uh, something being like groggy or having a headache or kind of like the feeling of being hung over uh, to uh, disorientation, to unconsciousness and eventually death. Yeah, so it's a, it's a dangerous gas for sure. You know, and you talked a little bit about how it's generated and where it comes from. So if an average person is in an area that might have high amounts of carbon monoxide, could they really tell it? 
only if they don't feel well. Uh, if you have a constant low amount of carbon monoxide, carbon monoxide being generated, uh, it may be that you just sort of feel blah and you always sort of feel blah. And it could be that you have uh, carbon monoxide from a slow leak somewhere in your house. And when you walk outside into the fresh air, you sort of feel better, you get back into the house and you don't feel so good anymore. Uh, you can't really you can't really identify the location of a leak unless uh, unless you're an expert. And most utility companies have those kinds of experts on call. Okay. Well, so this might be a little bit um, hard of an answer or question to answer. But what type of occupancies or building uses present the most danger of CO poisoning? Well, almost any building can have CO uh, present if you have a fuel burning appliance in that building. Uh, the most dangerous occupancies for CO poisoning are obviously occupancies where humans spend a lot of time, such as residential occupancies, uh, single family dwellings, obviously, uh, your apartment or your condo, if you live in a congregate uh, residence type area, uh, hotels, um, dorms, military barracks, those kinds of places. Uh, carbon monoxide works on you while you're asleep as well as when you're awake. So uh, when you're asleep, it's more dangerous, obviously, because uh, you might, and pardon this sort of joke, but you might wake up dead. No, sure. I, I understand what you're saying there. Now, you've talked a little bit here about fuel burning appliances. And just to kind of clarify, when we talk about that, can you kind of give examples of exactly what we're talking about? What type of fuels, what type of appliances that, that an average person um, might you know, recognize? Well, we're talking about either uh, solid or liquid or gas fuels, anything that has uh, a heat exchanger uh, that might be uh, disoperative or uh, unoperative. Uh, pretty much the only fuel that is safe from carbon monoxide is electricity. So if I have an oil burning furnace or a gas burning furnace or uh, uh, a wood-burning stove or uh, a barbecue that I'm using briquettes or or uh, or charcoal in, uh, or a wood pellet stove. Any of those kinds of appliances can create carbon monoxide as a uh, product of incomplete combustion. Okay, and in the industry, we've had um, unfortunately some some deaths. People get sick um, based on improperly maintained equipment or malfunctioning equipment, and uh, based on that, we're starting to see a pretty strong push from uh, national and local governments to update code standards and improve protection. And with that, Art, I know you've been heavily involved with NFPA 720. I actually served on that committee with you for a while. Uh, as a reminder to the audience, that's the standard for the installation of carbon monoxide detection and warning equipment. But Art, I think you're uniquely qualified as a person who was uh, heavily involved with this document. Could you provide a background of why the standard was created, what it covered, and how this helped to improve CO safety? Sure. The, the document was created because of 
a number of carbon monoxide poisonings and uh, illnesses and deaths. That's the way most NFPA documents are born is because there's a need uh, and either a new document is created or changes to an existing document are made. As an example, the station fire in Rhode Island changed a lot of existing codes uh, based on uh, the need for uh, more sprinkler protection in certain occupancies. And in the uh, early 90s, there were a lot of documented carbon monoxide injuries and deaths. Uh, NFPA created a, uh, a need for a document. The first attempt to get this on the, uh, on the NFPA bookshelf was uh, to assign it to an existing NFPA 72 committee, specifically the household committee. Uh, it did not make it out of committee. It was voted down at the, uh, at the NFPA annual meeting. So the NFPA uh, Standards Council created a new committee, uh, the 720 committee, independent of the NFPA 72 family, I was named as the first chair of the committee, and we developed what uh, started out as a recommended practice, and then it graduated into a standard over a several over several cycles. So, the document itself regulates what carbon monoxide detection devices need to be. We work very closely. Uh, with underwriters laboratories that developed a new standard for carbon monoxide detectors, uh, uh, UL 2034, and where you put those detectors and what they have to sound like and how long they have to be powered, all of the technical stuff for carbon monoxide detection is either in 720 or in the underwriters laboratory standard. All right, so I guess uh, a question that we often get, Art, is um, where are we supposed to install these CO detectors? And uh, NFPA does provide some guidance on that. Could you review that for our audience? Sure. Carbon monoxide has a molecular weight that's almost exactly the same as an air molecule. So there is no rule that says you have to put the CO detector uh, at the ceiling level or at the floor level. It's sort of counterintuitive because they kind of look like smoke alarms and you put smoke alarms at the tops of the rooms because smoke rises. But CO, uh, it will work, the detector will work no matter where in the room you put the detector the the best guidance and what is in the standard is that you follow the manufacturer's uh, recommendations for location of the detector. Uh, some detectors are actually made so they plug into a 110 volt outlet, which is usually 18 to 24 inches above the floor. Some, the manufacturers say mount them high on the wall or on the ceiling. It really doesn't matter because the CO in the air homogenizes with the air and can be detected pretty much anywhere in the room. 
So now we're detecting for carbon monoxide and these signals are coming into a fire alarm control unit um, or maybe just to regular standalone smoke or carbon monoxide alarms. For alerting purposes then, how are the signals required to sound to the occupants? Well, we wanted to, the, the committee wanted to have a signal that was unique to carbon monoxide. Uh, and it would have to be able to be produced over the eight hours that the alarm device had to operate. Uh, so we, we basically came up with the temporal four, uh, which is what carbon monoxide detectors are required now to sound like. And we also now require that the carbon monoxide detector go off uh, for the first hour, it's uh, really regular. And then after the first hour up to the eighth hour, it's uh, one or two times a minute. We had to do that because uh, if you leave the house in the morning, you don't want the detector to be dead because of the battery going down by the time you get home at, at night. And if there's carbon monoxide in the air, you want to be able to know that. So the detector actually has to still be in alarm when you return uh, home uh, after work. So it was a challenge, but we came up with a uh, sort of a, a, a two-phase alarm. Um, the alarm sounds kind of like a smoke alarm, except it's a four pulse instead of a three pulse to start with, but then it slows down and only sounds a couple times a minute after the first hour. Yeah, interesting. So when carbon monoxide detectors are then connected to a fire alarm system, where one of the questions we're often asked is, where does that notification need to go um, within the building? Is it everywhere, certain locations? Uh, what is the requirement for that? There are several options. Uh, the the, this, the short answer is if you connect a smoke, a carbon monoxide detection device to a existing system, to a fire alarm system, it has to sound throughout the building, wherever fire alarm sounders are, and it has to sound the unique carbon monoxide alert tones. Uh, there are some jurisdictions that say just have it locally enunciate. So the carbon monoxide detection devices have independent sounders that sound the CO signal at that device, but not necessarily throughout the building. So it's kind of a moving target, kind of depends. And uh, you have to ask your local code official uh, what they want to do with that, uh, with that specific requirement. Right, and a lot of that I, I think comes down to their emergency response plan. You know, people might respond differently if it's a carbon monoxide event. Uh, maybe I want to check on my fellow occupants, uh, my business people, make sure they're they haven't you know uh, fallen asleep at their station because they've been overcome by CO. Uh, rather than just a uh, fire alarm goes off, everybody get out of the building as quick as they can. Well, that's true, and there's actually a an annex. Uh, which is what NFPA calls the old appendix uh, stuff in the back of a document. There's a there's a recommendation in 720 
for how to handle a CO signal received by a supervising station and transmitted to the 911 center. Typically, when you get a fire alarm signal, the fire department is dispatched, red lights and sirens, uh, to the location. But the recommendation for carbon monoxide is for them to, for the 911 center to call the 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 uh, the premises, or even the mon the private monitoring center to call the premises to find out if there's actually a uh, a problem, because carbon monoxide response is not really a fire response; more it is a medical emergency response, and you need to. You need to get uh, uh, an ambulance there if people are feeling the effects of carbon monoxide. Typically what happens is the advice is open a door, open the window, get some fresh air and call your utility company to check out the building. Uh, that's great advice. Uh, Chief Black, this has been very informative. Thank you for coming on uh, to Industry Roundtable to help us uh, speak about this pro uh, product or carbon monoxide uh, detection and alerting uh, for people. And I just want to really thank you for your time and thank you for your service as well, sir. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Roger. Thank you for listening to this episode of Industry Roundtable. Be on the lookout for more podcasts in the coming weeks covering a range of fire and life safety related topics. Before we wrap up, I wanted to mention that this podcast is for informational purposes and is not professional advice. We recommend you consult with your local authorities or seek professional counsel for your life safety needs.